great and mighty is the Lord our God. Welcome to this special Billy Graham television program. In just a few moments, Billy Graham will be speaking, and his subject tonight is entitled, Time to Come Home. Now here's George Beverly Shea. Tired of a life without meaning Always in a crowd, yet alone Not knowing what I was needing I walked down a long dusty road As the sunshine beamed brightly, I saw not not a cloud or a tree where I walked. Then I looked and I saw there before me the shadow of a cross. It is I, said a voice, it was Jesus, and a hand was outstretched to me and my soul came alive in the shadow of the cross of Calvary. It is I, said a voice, it was Jesus, and a hand was outstretched came alive in the shadow of the cross of Calvary. When I came here, I never dreamed we would see and feel what we've seen and felt. And I believe it has come in answer to prayer and work on the part of the churches, not only of Portland, but of Oregon and Washington and Idaho. And we want you to carry this spirit back to your churches and let's have it everywhere so that we'll see a great spiritual awakening and renewal and revival in Portland and in Oregon. But we've had a wonderful time here and I want to thank everyone. I hope that uh, the music and the testimonies and the messages have touched your heart and your life as it has mine and to meet with these brethren every night and have prayer with them. What a thrill it is for me and what a joy it is for me. And you know, Cliff Barrows and Bev Shea and T.W. Wilson and Ted Smith have all been with me, well, I've been with them since the beginning. Now they could fire me and go right on. I was preaching several years before I met them, except T.W. Wilson, 
I met him when he was running from the Lord and the Lord had to run fast to catch him and then had to hog time. He and Grady Wilson both. But we're delighted for the privilege of being in the Northwest. I think this and Colorado and South Carolina are the three places that Cliff Barrows loves the most. And uh, we, he talks about it all the time. And I join him in the Northwest. I have a son that lives here in the Northwest. And he said he wouldn't move back East for anything in the world. And uh, he talks so much about it that he almost talked me into moving out here, but I could never talk my wife from moving. Because you see, we live in the mountains too. We live in the Appalachians. We live about 3,500 feet up on the side of a mountain. That's high for that part of the world. And we can see about 20 miles from our front porch. And we look out on, that, on the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. But we've gotten too much work going around us. We've got uh, offices, we've got a radio station, we've got all kinds of things that we're doing there. We've built a conference center uh, called The Cove, and I think it's the most beautiful, small conference center in all America. And someday I hope you'll come and visit it. But I don't want to take too long. I want you to turn with me to the 15th chapter of Luke. Luke, the 15th chapter, that's the most familiar passage almost in the whole Bible. It's the story of a father. It's called the prodigal son, but it should be called the loving father. I want to dwell on the father. There are three stories that Jesus tells. The Pharisees and the scribes were murmuring because he was eating with these sinners. And they said he eats with sinners. Jesus moved among all kinds of people people with every kind of ethnic background and people that were rich and people that were poor. He loved them all. He welcomed them all. He ate with them all. He moved among them. And these religious leaders didn't like it. They said he's compromising by eating with these people and fellowshipping with these people. And Jesus told them three stories. He told them a story about a man that had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered away and he left the 99 and went out to find that one lost sheep. And when he found it, there was great rejoicing. He gave a great banquet to celebrate the finding of his one lost sheep. He's telling the story that he is the shepherd that has come to find you. You're the one lost sheep here tonight, perhaps. You're lost from God. You've lost your direction in life. You've lost your purpose and meaning in life, and you need to find it. You can find it tonight, because the shepherd is looking for you. And then the second story that he tells is about a woman who loses one of the coins from a headdress that she was saving as a part of her dowry and she lost it. She couldn't find it anywhere. She lit a candle and looked under the bed and she swept the house. She cleaned the house. She wept. She cried. Her neighbors joined with her. Finally, she found it. 
And then all of her neighbors came and they all rejoiced that she'd found that coin. And Jesus said there's joy in heaven over one sinner repenting of sin. Think of it, one sinner, just one person coming to Christ causes rejoicing in heaven. The angels of heaven gather together to rejoice. And we've seen hundreds of people this week, even thousands, who made commitments to Christ among these young people and children. We thank God for them. Jesus said, don't despise the children. Let them come, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Tonight, I want to talk about the next parable. A parable means a story that illustrates spiritual truth. Jesus never spoke to people unless he told a story. He always told stories. And everybody likes a good story. And Jesus would tell a story and the people would gather around and he always had a spiritual truth in his stories. And this is one of the stories that Jesus told. He told a story about a father that had two sons. Probably he lived out on a big ranch or a big farm. And one day, his youngest son came to him and said, Father, it's our law that the oldest son gets two-thirds of your estate when you die, and the youngest son gets a third. Now I'll tell you, I don't want to wait till you die. I want mine now. Now that was very rude. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be done. This young man wanted to go out and have a good time now. He didn't want to wait. He wanted to have the girlfriends and he wanted to have the drugs. He wanted to have it all now. And he wanted his inheritance long before his father died. Finally, his father gave in, gave it to him and said, go. I'm sure he gave him a good talking to. But there are so many people like that. I heard about a speaker, a story about a speaker in America. He was scheduled to speak at the Philadelphia Town Hall and decided to walk from his hotel even though he was unfamiliar with the city. And sure enough, he became lost and was forced to ask some boys to direct him to his destination. One of the boys asked him, what are you going to do when you get there? He said, I'm going to give a lecture. They said, what are you going to speak on? He said, I'm going to speak on how to get to heaven. And the boy said, are you kidding, mister? You don't even know how to get to the town hall. <laughs> Jesus, in this passage, tells us how to get to heaven. We must turn from sin and turn by faith and we'll be received and there'll be rejoicing in heaven when we do. I spoke the other night about Dostoevsky, probably the greatest novelist in Russia, in Russian history, at least during the last century. And he was sent to prison camp. Well, first of all, they lined him up to shoot them. And at the last moment, there came a reprieve from the czar. Just as they were to be shot, the men had raised their rifles ready to shoot these prisoners. And they got a reprieve and he was sentenced to prison in Siberia. And when you read how he lived in that time, the vermin on the floor, the stench of the prisoners, 
the unbelievable cold in the winter, the unbelievable heat in the summer. But when he went into that prison, there were some women that gave him a copy of the New Testament. That's all he had to read. And for years he studied and read that New Testament until he had memorized most of it. And this 15th chapter of Luke and the story of this prodigal son, he memorized and you'll find it all the way through his novels. Read The Possessed, The Brothers Karamazov, all those famous novels that he wrote has the story of the prodigal son in the middle of it. Jesus told this story and literary experts call it the finest short story ever written. Here's the picture of a young man who was restless, wanted his inheritance now, didn't want his father to tell him what to do. A top country song in America last year was, don't tell me what to do. And that's what many young people are saying to their parents and teachers and the police. People are saying, have sex now. Don't wait for marriage. Assert your independence. Do your own thing, regardless of the consequences. I don't know what your statistics are, but the number of American girls who are sexually active by the time they're out of high school has jumped from 28% in 1970 to 51% last year. It is currently estimated that one in 500 adults in the entire world now have AIDS and they're going to die. And it's spreading like wildfire in some parts of the world. Alcoholism growing among young people. This young man in Jesus' story set off for the far country. He wanted to go to the great city like Seattle or Portland or Chicago or New York or London or Paris and have a good time. And he arrived in the big city with all of its bright lights and he had a good time because his pockets were filled with money. There are over a million runaways every year in the United States. I realize that many have left because of abuse at home. Teenagers are not the only runaways in our society. Hundreds and thousands of men and women run away from each other, run away from their marriages through divorce. This young man was running from himself. He was running from God. And all around us here tonight are people who are doing the same. This boy squandered his wealth in wild living. He spent it all and had nothing to show for it. In Isaiah, the 55th chapter, it says, Why do you spend money on what is not bread? Why do you labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen to me, says the Lord. Eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richness of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. When John Kennedy went to Dallas that fateful day to speak, and he was shot. He was going to give a speech. And in that speech, he was going to quote this passage from Mark, the eighth chapter. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
You see, you are an eternal soul, an eternal spirit. You're going to live forever whether you like it or not. You can't kill yourself. You can't commit suicide. Your body can die, but not your spirit. The real you that lives inside of you is going to live forever, either in heaven or hell. You say, Billy, do you really believe in hell? Yes, I do. Because Jesus talked about it. The Bible teaches it. It's mentioned many times in the Bible. And we're warned not to go there, to stop before it's too late. Cliff Barris and I were in New Zealand one time many years ago, and we were holding meetings, and I spoke to the, at the university to a group of young people, and I mentioned hell in my talk, and it made a few of them angry, and one of them came to our room where he and I were rooming together and knocked on the door, and he came bursting in there, and he said, what do you mention hell for? You know we don't believe in that. I said, I want to ask you a question. Suppose you went to the airport and you were going to take a plane from Auckland to Sydney tonight and they told you there's a 10% chance it'll crash. Would you take it? Well, he said, no, I wouldn't take it. I said, do you think there's a 10% chance there might be a hell? Just 10%. I said, suppose there's only 5% or 1%. Is it worth taking it? He said, no. I said, will you receive Christ then? He said, no, because I find that that's not my problem. His problem was moral. His problem was spiritual. He didn't want to yield to Christ. He didn't want to follow Christ. That was his problem. He thought he had an intellectual problem, but his problem was deeper than that. And that's the problem of some of you. Jesus said concerning this man that he's telling about, this young man, that he began to be in need. You see, a great famine came to the city of the town where he went to. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough water. And he couldn't get a job. He lost all of his money. All of his friends left him. He had made a lot of friends with his money, but now he didn't have any money. And he was looking for a job and he went to some of his old friends and they wouldn't hire him. Finally, he got a job feeding the pigs. A terrible job for a young Jewish boy. He tried to satisfy his hunger pangs with what the pigs were eating. His physical hunger is a picture of our spiritual hunger. The Bible says he finally came to himself. There was a great Bible teacher in China once by the name of Leland Wong. Many of you might have known him because he toured America many times. And he said, the way this young man came to himself, he took off his outer garment, then he took off his inner garment, and then he came to himself. And this is how, what happened to the young man Jesus is talking about. He got down inside of his heart and he began to realize that he was wrong. 
but he had run away from his father. He had run away from the wealth that his father had. He had disobeyed his father. He had lived in all kinds of sin. And one day, God the Holy Spirit began to speak to him. And he began to think. Blessed when a young person begins to think and when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with you and you begin to feel that you're wrong. He said to himself, I'm wrong. I've sinned against my father. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against heaven. How much better off are my father's servants than I am? I'm going to get up and go back to my father and beg him to take me, not as a son again, I'll just be a slave. So he started for home. He was very humble and sorry. He said, I'll arise and go to my father. And he said, I'm going to tell my father. He made up a little speech. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called your son. No trace of arrogance, not trying to justify what he'd done. He realized he'd sinned. He just cast himself on the mercy of his father. He didn't see his father's welcome and think he'd gotten away with it. He didn't say, hi, dad. I'm home. Can I have my old room back? No. He was like King David after King David had sinned. He confessed his sin. He said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. To repent means to turn around and go the other direction. And he arose and he came to his father. But the story is that his father had been watching for him and looking for him day after day and month after month and year after year. His father never gave up. His father loved him, and his father was waiting for him. But when he looked down the road and saw what he thought was his son coming, the father ran to him and threw his arms around him, and the son tried to give his speech, but he couldn't give it. When he was yet a great way off, the scripture says, his father fell on his neck and had compassion on him. God is not waiting to judge you and condemn you. God loves you. He's waiting to receive you with mercy and love. And the day will come when God is going to judge the world, I know. But today is a day of grace and salvation. Grace means something you don't deserve. God is offering you tonight forgiveness of sin. He's offering you heaven tonight. He's offering you a new peace and a new joy and a new direction and a new meaning in your life. He's offering you the best of this world and he's offering you heaven in addition. Not because we deserve it, but because of what Christ did on that cross. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, God took your sins and mine and laid them on Christ. He became sin for us who knew no sin. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, says the scripture. 
The scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The scripture says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. The scripture says, by whose stripes we are healed, every stripe that Jesus took, it was healing for us. True repentance doesn't presume on the grace and mercy of God can only come when the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. And beware of the attitude that says, I know I'm on the wrong road, but I'm not tired of it yet. I want to have a little more fun, a little more excitement, a little more sinning. I'll repent. I'll come to God someday. I think everybody in this audience feels that sometime, somewhere, you're going to make a commitment to Christ. And you forget all those passages that indicate that you better come now. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You may not be able to repent because the further you travel the road away from God, the less you think you've done anything wrong and the less you think you need to repent. You must make a choice about yourself tonight. Some of you think that you're too bad to come home to God. You say, I've done too many bad things. I've sinned against God. Too. He won't receive me. Yes, he will. It's not too late. The very fact you're here, the very fact that God is speaking to your heart indicate it's not too late. Someday it may be too late, but it's not too late tonight for you to make that great commitment to Christ. Don't harden your heart and turn away. Jesus said, when you come to him, there'll be great rejoicing in heaven. And you need to come home to God tonight. He's waiting to welcome you with open arms. I've told the story in several different ways because I've read it in several different ways and whether it's a true story, I'm not sure. But I think it is. It was about a man that was in prison in Pennsylvania. And he was let out of prison and he had written his wife whom he had sinned against and he had written to his children and he said, I'm getting paroled on such and such a day. I've been in here seven or eight years. I know you don't want me to come home, but maybe you would have some love left in your heart. I'm going to be on a certain bus. I'll be passing by the, the house. And if you will welcome me, put a yellow sheet out or yellow ribbons out and I'll know that you'll receive me. If not, I'll just pass on by and go and try to get a job somewhere and you all can forget about me because I know how ashamed you are of me having been in prison. So the bus started down the road and the bus stopped at a university and took on a bunch of students. And these students soon talked to the man and found out what was happening and they became very interested in his story. And they kept waiting for them to turn a certain corner so they could see the house that he lived in and to see whether the yellow sheets were gonna be there. And when they turned that corner and came down that road, 
they could see a half mile away. Nothing but yellow. Yellow sheets in the trees, yellow sheets and ribbons all over the house. The man got out, fell into the arms of his wife and his children. The students applauded and the bus went on. Tonight, all of heaven has those yellow sheets out and ribbons waiting for you. And the arms of God are ready to go around you and say, I love you. Welcome home. You can come home to Christ tonight. And they'll be rejoicing in heaven. I'm going to ask you to do that tonight. You say, well, what do I have to do? First, you must realize that you've sinned against God and you're willing to change your way of living and change your mind about God. Change your mind about yourself and say, oh God, I have sinned and I'm sorry. That's repentance. Then secondly, you receive him by faith. You put your confidence in him. You commit your life to him. You're not going to commit your life to anything for salvation except Christ. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come and stand in front of this platform and say by coming, I want Christ in my heart. You say, Billy, why do you call us publicly? Because every person that Jesus called, he called publicly. He said, if you're not willing to acknowledge me publicly before people, I will not acknowledge you before my Father which is in heaven. The scripture says that there's something about making it a public commitment that makes it real and lasting. If you're with friends or relatives, they'll wait on you or you can bring your friend with you. Just get up out of your seat and come. And after you've all come here, I'm going to have a prayer with you and say a word to you and give you some literature to help you in your Christian life. You get up and come right now from all over. You may be in the choir. You may be the best church member in all the, of all of Portland. We've even had in some of our crusades pastors come forward who had no certainty of their relationship with Christ. You may not be sure of your faith in Christ. You come and make sure tonight so you can go home and rejoice. And he has his arms ready to put around you and say, I love you, I forgive you. You're mine, I'll adopt you into my family and you'll become one of my children. You get up and come from way back. You may have to come from the top. It'll take you an extra minute, so start now. You get up and come.
and you can make your commitment where you are. You don't have to wait to come here. You can say yes to Christ right where you are. And that same loving arm will be around you and the same rejoicing in heaven will take place because the yellow sheets are out for you in heaven. You come to Christ now and say yes to him. If you will, write to me, Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota, or if you live in Canada, Billy Graham, Post Office Box 641, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Make that commitment to Christ and join these people here in Oregon that are making their commitment tonight. God bless you and God help you to make that commitment. This has been a presentation of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association.